You're listening to On the Record Off Script. My name is Mark Coffin, and I'm your host. At the end of every one of our interviews with former MLAs, we ask them two questions. How can we improve politics in Nova Scotia? And how would you advise someone considering running for public office or somebody who recently became an MLA? And last week, you heard the answers ex-MLAs shared to the first of those two questions. This week, we share the answer we heard to the second. We didn't ask ex-MLAs to explain to us how to win or how to do the job well, but simply, what would your advice be to somebody considering following in your footsteps? In earlier episodes, myself, Sandra, and Louise have shared our own narrations or explanations throughout the episode, but in this one, the question is a pretty straightforward one, and the answers speak for themselves, so we're going to let the former MLAs do the talking. I'll be back at the end of the episode. If anybody came to me and said, do you think I should run? I would say yes. If you've been approached... If you've been approached to run for any party or for any elected office, and if you're interested, I think it's, it's a terrific experience. The door opens very rarely to a very few people in the world and gives you an opportunity to really contribute to your community, so do it. Then if they say, what advice would you give me when I run? Just be true to yourself, decide what you want to accomplish, you know, and go down that road. Be yourself. Don't try to model yourself after what you think the ideal candidate might be because you're already on the wrong path if that's what you're going to do. Do your homework. You know, know your own writing. Know your party's policies. Um, I I spend a lot of time that way with would-be candidates. and uh, Uh, Make sure that your health is in perfect condition number one because the amount of work that that one has to do if you're going to do the job properly you must be in excellent health and take care of yourself because the the hours are very long the pay might work out to a dollar an hour if you i'm not just sure what it would be but it is if you take your job seriously i think in the historically we've had a few members who haven't done that but they don't, you know, they're not usually very successful at what they do, you know, because they, you really do have to work long hours hard and be prepared to study, to learn. My philosophies and those things are summed up in three phrases. First, you never take it personally. Second thing is when somebody's saying, you're the stupid son of a bitch I ever saw in my life, I assume they're talking to the minister of them, not me. You have to divorce minister what, a minister of whatever you are. I have a minister of finance. You have to divorce yourself. Hmm. So you don't take a person, and you do not. And I don't care if it's the Pope phones, and if the Pope phones this house and starts to use bad language, I hang up. Hmm. Very simple. Very simple. I don't care who it is. So those are my three folks. And I started that when I was mayor, and I, I, I did the same thing in one... Um, when the new guy was, uh, new MLAs were coming in, I'd just simply say the same thing to him. Hmm. <laughs> How many times have you had to apply rule number three? Probably three dozen. Well, I think that one of the things is I would be honest, because Maureen McDonald was extremely honest with me 
Uh, I've known Maureen for a very, very long time, and when she found out I was running, she gave me the best advice, and it was true, and it was hard advice. And she said, at, right at the top, you'll find out who your friends are. And she said, be prepared. And I heard her say that, and um, within weeks of being um, an MLA, people that who I'd had as friends Partisan politics runs very deep in Nova Scotia, and I, to this day, still, um, I've had no contact with. It's so, so I would be honest with the person. So you have to go. What, what you have to really want to affect positive change, and if you feel in your soul you want to move forward, but if you feel that you can't take the heat, hmm. be advised. It's it's a hard road. So and but, I had Maureen told me that, and I accepted that, and she said you'll find out who your friends are, and you do, and you make other friends, and you make friends, um, and that whole thing about uh, Mark, you would know this that the people on the floor, there were people on the floor from different parties who are very good friends of mine. The people that are involved in politics aren't as partisan with their friendships as what people perceive they are outside but people there are some there are some families that are so entrenched in that they can't uh, sort of step aside and see that you're more than your party you are a person who happens to be well I, do, I think it's very important to know what it is you believe in know who it is you are and why it is that you're doing this uh, and and to be very rock solid about this I, I was grateful for myself this might not be true for other people I was grateful for myself to go into this uh, not being young uh, that uh, I've been around a horn enough to know now exactly what it is I think and I'm pretty tough to talk get talked out of it uh, uh, and uh, and I know you know I have some experience on holding on to my beliefs in a context in which they're in the minority uh, but I but I think that's number one uh, and uh, I think that's who we need to look for in our party too, uh, 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 to, uh, as, uh, people who who uh, uh, know what it is that they believe in, uh, and uh, uh, who have given this some effect in their lives, and are interested in trying to uh, to give it a political effect. Uh, first thing I say is read my book. Uh, <laughs> then I say read Tragedy in the Commons, and then I, I I would say to them, you are not better and smarter than the people who are quoted in Tragedy in the Commons. Um, there's a lot of really smart, really capable, really committed people who were there before you and didn't accomplish anywhere close to what they imagined they would accomplish. So don't think you're going to be any different. So if you want to go into politics, I would say to the person, even knowing all of this, I say more power to you but go in with your eyes wide open. I would never say to somebody, don't go into politics. I would say, if you're going to do it, go in with your eyes wide open about what the job entails. One of the fundamental issues we have is people go into politics for the vaguest reasons. They don't, and they have only the foggiest notion of what the actual job involves. And it doesn't help that there's no job description. So people imagine I think a fairly romantic idea of what it is that elected representative does and then when if they actually get into it they get so consumed by uh, 
you know, things like casework and they get so wrapped up in the political culture that it's not long before they've forgotten why or only have have a, a vague recollection of why they wanted to get into it in the first place. And one of the lessons I learned from Tragedy in the Commons, and I think this is absolutely right and really important, is that uh, a lot of uh, experienced MPs looking back wished that they had focused on a particular subject matter and said, that's my thing, that's what I'm going to work on. Not something like really vague. I was talking to one of the candidates in the by-elections the other day who said, you know, he wants to do more to help small business. And I said, that's so vague as to be meaningless. Like something really specific. I am going to get this done. And then you work on that. You devote all of your legislative efforts to that. Because after all, in the House of Commons, you're only one voice among, you know, what's soon to be 343 people. Ants in an anthill scurrying all in different directions. So you got to be focused from day one on what you want to accomplish. And then work on it, work on it, work on it. And if you leave politics having accomplished that thing, that's that's a good thing, and you'll have accomplished more than most members. What most members do is they go in with a very vague idea. They get caught up in a hundred or thousand different issues that are going on in the constituency or whatever, and they end up accomplishing almost nothing that matters. And so, so it's you can't point your finger to any one thing and say, well, that would never have happened if that member hadn't been there. So as long as they're focused and go in with a realistic idea of what the job involves, I say, sure, go ahead. That is to, if, if they're interested in being a candidate, then uh, they could be a candidate, but they have to recognize that uh, it, it might be an uncomfortable situation uh, in which they find themselves, that, um, uh, but, but that it's evolving all the time. Is uh, centralization of power in the hands of a very few people, uh, and uh, others are, are told uh, um, that um, you know, they're... Uh, they got elected uh, because uh, uh, of the uh, attractiveness of the leader and uh, uh, the uh, time and effort of the, the party apparatus at, at large, and their job is just to uh, um, uh, be the, the public face, uh, uh, the local public face of the party, and uh, they'll be told what to think, what to say, how to vote, and uh, um, uh, they're, they're given a role. Uh, in, a, in a piece of theater. Um, this is not healthy. This is, in my view, not, uh, not much of a reflection of a, of a healthy democracy. So I think that um, there have to be many more opportunities for um, active, active policy uh, debate uh, in, inside political parties. Uh, and I think that'll come. So I, I think if someone uh, who was a political activist was thinking about uh, running, they shouldn't be entirely discouraged, but they, they should also recognize that it's, it's going to be a bit of a slog. You know? Well, I, my advice has been, and still is, you know, if, you know do it. I mean, if, if uh, you're thinking about it, it's something that you should do. I, uh, don't let my experiences be your experiences. Uh, there's some things in life you just got to go in and do for yourself and uh, maybe you've got a different temperament than I have and you can uh, effect a change that maybe I couldn't do uh, but I, I encourage people to go in what I don't like in, um, uh, in, in politics what I don't like 
is it, it, it's such a it's such a controlling nature, and if they can't control you, is that you become an outcast. They couldn't control me, so uh, the opposition. I mean, uh, they can't bully you if you're not going to be bullied and controlled. Then you become a target. Keep your head down and work hard, and uh, remember that. Don't take too seriously the criticism of of of, of, of the opposition because they're going to oppose you on everything, no matter what. So don't. You know, take everything with a grain of salt. And remember, even the people in your own party, you've got to be careful. Look, what's some? ask yourself, what's someone's self-interest in that and color them? I mean, Churchill has this wonderful, there's a wonderful story of of this new MP sitting beside Churchill in the legislature and looking out and saying, ah, oh, isn't it wonderful to, to, to look out on the, on the enemy? And Church said, son, that's the opposition. The enemy's all around you. <laughs> so, you know, be careful of that too um, don't piss off the leader and try and work with the leader you know and if you have to work around them do it very carefully um, and don't the other thing is don't spend your own money and in, 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 you know don't fund yourself if you can't win with other people's money in elections then don't waste your own money on it but that would only apply because most of the people I'm talking to I didn't have much money as a minister and church minister and if you're really wealthy I guess it wouldn't matter to you but but uh, people go in and they'll spend a lot of money and lose thinking you know they're going to win so you can't take winning for granted at any stage you can, the, the, the electorate is very volatile now and uh, they've changed uh, when I was first in politics they'd come in and if they had a problem and you couldn't help them then they'd get angry Ten years later, they're coming in angry at the start. You'd have to talk them down and then try and deal with the problem. So there, there's a, a change out there, and there's a change, too, in party allegiances and parties going in and out. And for a while there, we had minorities all the time. And then there's this change where Harper perfected it based on the states where you appeal to a small group and you wedge politics and you, you actually antagonize people who you don't agree with. So I'd tell them about that and how things have changed, etc. Warn them about the legislature, how it can be deadly boring. It's like watching paint dry at times. And uh, to keep their priority on their family because that's what's going to be there after politics is gone. So You have to do the best you can and leave it at that. And I always... People would say, oh, Pam, you must have a really thick skin. And I would laugh and say, no, I have a Teflon energy field. You know, I just don't let it stick to me. And if they're throwing it, it doesn't stick. And that has been the way I've thought of myself my whole life. And um, the energy field just got a little more slippery. (laughs) My philosophy has always been the only thing you have any control over in life are your own thoughts and your own reactions. It's the only thing. And um, you, you can't lose your mind about someone else being in, acting in a way that just makes you crazy. You know, you can lose your mind doing that, but it doesn't help your, your own physical health or mental health. And you just got to go, okay, all right, there you are. That's your thought. Fine. And walk away. To um, maybe 
the other person being infuriated that you're not reacting the way they hoped you would. And a lot of people, you know, especially if you're a politician, they go on a fishing trip, you know, and they want to lure you in and get a reaction. And I'm just not willing to lose my energy on people that are playing around, you know. Uh, it may sound gratuitous, but it's advice that I've given to everyone who's ever aspired for public office, uh, especially high office where you're going to be more visible and, and criticized. Um, this perspective is, is a more personal one than a professional one, but I think it's, it's critical to whether or not somebody ultimately does a good job. Um, in all of our lives, if we, um, when we are criticized, um, we, we have some choices to uh, consider any potential truth in what that criticism is, uh, incorporate it, and sort of um, um, reprofile the way that we do things as a result of the wisdom that came from that uh, criticism. The, the flood of criticism is so heavy in public life that most people's instincts are to put up this force field of deflection where every all the incoming missiles, you're just trying to knock as many back so that you continue to look good or feel good in some fashion. And I suspect it's exhausting uh, and it's soul-depleting for people in public life to have to do that on a consistent basis it just and it's not sustainable and so for me i think one of the few things that i was able to do that made a difference in some meaningful way was that i I actually had a different metaphor than the force field i actually took everything in but i uh i defecated out all the lousy stuff um, that I didn't think was valuable, and I retained the criticism, the good, the wisdom in the criticism as much as possible. So it was, it was just, it was, it was a very different way for me to process the the questions and criticism that came in. I, I, so let everything in, and I, I think as a result, re- remained lighter and more open. Uh, and more available to different ways of uh, considering how we could uh, uh, get things done, and uh, yeah, so it's a that's but that's a more personal uh, orientation than it is specific advice. Um, most of the advice that I give to people uh, is get grounded as a person, get rid of your ego. I mean, it's hard to say get rid of your ego, but but ego is the um, is the poison pill, and often it's 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 a high it has a high frequency. It's really it's coming in strong when people uh, start to offer for political office. If you were to give anybody who was becoming an MLA advice, what would that advice be? Oh, yes. Don't forget where you're from and. When you get a phone call, remember that it's the most important thing on that person's agenda, so it's got to be the most important thing on yours. You know, it, it's it's not the Board of Trade or that organization that gets you elected. It's the people. Um, 
You have to spend time with them, whether they're rich or poor. The main difference. I spent more time with poor people than rich people when I was in government, in opposition, because um, they needed more. You know, they wanted your help. And Just do your best and be and be true to yourself, quite frankly. And I think one thing I have, I guess I've learned or adopted in the whole process is what you'd like to see politicians do to you or for you, offer yourself in that regard. You want to see meaningful change? Offer meaningful change. Lip service doesn't, doesn't pay in the long run. I move around circles and I hear people who are still cur- cursing condemning politicians of 25 years ago. I'm thinking to myself, man, that's not the legacy anybody wants to leave public office with because it's a, it's a tough job. It's a 20-hour a day job. And that's the other thing in terms of going into it. You've got to mentally prepare yourself that your time is not your own time. You know? You've got a media that uh, are always looking for what they can find wrong with you or wrong with your personal life, not your political life. Once you start getting ahead of yourself or starting to think that you're the answer to a maiden's prayer, all of a sudden you're not listening to what people are saying anymore. People get this thing, they start taking it too seriously. They start thinking that... God put them on this earth to lead people. That's not the case. <laughs> Do it, but make sure you get an extra strategy in terms of income, like where you going to land after you leave. Because you don't know when you're going to leave. And that never entered my mind at all. I just figured I'm going to just keep doing a good job in terms of being voted out or not winning the election. That didn't enter me. I mean, it was there, but it was like a subplot. I'll get around to it someday. From nearing the end of the, the questions I've got up here, but... Uh, like I mentioned, the one we like to wrap up with is sort of if you were either had an opportunity to do it all over again or could advise somebody um, who wants to take on the role of being the MLA for this place in the future, what are the what are some of the tips you would offer them? Get out and know your people. Get out and, and learn as much as you can about your constituency, even if you think you know it, even if you've been a community member or you grew up in the area. I didn't grow up in the area, but I moved here when I was 25. Uh, So more than half my life was spent here. And um, listen to your constituents. Do the very best you can. Don't hold out false hope for something that you know can't happen. Be realistic. Explain the, the system or the process that would be involved to solve whatever problem you, the constituent has. Um, Give them all your attention and work really hard. Um, That's what I would advise anyone in any role in their life. Hmm. Just, you know, the four agreements. Be impeccable with your word. Don't take it personally. Don't make assumptions. Always do your best. I have never been a politician, and I don't know what it's like to stand for public office to win and serve as a lawmaker. I have spent a good amount of time with people who have worked in politics, staffers, the former MLAs you've heard from in these episodes, and many people who have served or are currently serving in legislatures, the House of Commons, and on municipal council. And in the conversations we've shared on this program and conversations I've had offline, one thing that has come across is that many people who serve in public office wrestle with being misunderstood underappreciated, and feeling overworked. And it's probably fair to say that the vocation of politics is a place where misunderstanding, underappreciation, and overwork are endemic. 
And while I haven't been a politician, I can relate with having had each of those feelings from time to time, as I'm sure most listeners can. And for many, circumstances beyond their own control will make those feelings unshakably stronger than for others. When I think of who I am when I feel misunderstood, underappreciated, and overworked, I'm not at my best. And when I listen to the advice offered by former MLAs, I hear tips and strategies for self-protection. Figure out a way to deal with the criticism coming your way. Figure out how you'll earn an income once you leave politics. For some ex-MLAs, it felt like they were offering survival advice, and for others it seemed like their advice came with the recognition that in order to serve the public, you need to have your own shit figured out first. Much of the advice shared by former MLAs to future ones will no doubt be heard as hokey, vague, simplistic, and maybe for some, it is. Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. was an Associate Justice for the Supreme Court of the United States, and he once wrote, I would not give a fig for the simplicity on this side of complexity, but I would give my life for the simplicity on the other side of complexity. I've thought of that quote often while working on this series. I've thought of it not only when it comes to the words of advice that we heard from former MLAs today, but also in how we describe and analyze the political arena. The political arena is an important space, and when you consider the importance of the issues we expect those in it to deal with, and then mix in their political identities and personalities, it's a complex one too. Whenever I think I've understood something in politics, whenever I think I've understood why something has turned out to be the way it is, I ask myself, now am I on the near side of complexity or the far side of complexity? I hope more often than not I'm on the far side, but I'm not sure. When it comes to the longer story of former MLAs, the story we started telling back in 2016, I think we're on the far side of it now. But it's important to recognize that for us, for me as narrator and you as listener, we haven't been inside of it. We've been observing it. We haven't wrestled with the complexity of holding public office. We're used to hearing a polished version of the story of what public life is about. And in this podcast, we've done our best to share a less polished version of that story. Our first episode was called Roadmap, but the map we've shared is not the terrain. It's just one version of the map, hopefully a more complete version than whatever you might have been holding on to before. So that's it. That's the end of the story we've been telling with former MLAs. We will, as mentioned in past weeks, be continuing to podcast on this channel. In the future, this podcast will be about supporting and learning from the people in Nova Scotia politics, democracy, and activism today with interviews and features that are a bit more timely. Next week, we're also launching a new podcast called Govern Yourself Accordingly. It's a podcast for engaged citizens and public leaders that want to make change through politics with their integrity intact. We're aiming for that podcast to have a broader than Nova Scotia appeal. If you'd like to get an early listen to what we've got lined up and to hear a couple of our early episodes in exchange for an honest iTunes rating and review on launch day, send me a note at mark at springtide.ngo. Before we go today, before the end of this episode, before we fully set down this story of former MLAs that we've been telling, uh, there are some thank yous in order. 
first to Louise Cockrum, who has been uh, the driving force behind this project from the beginning, since well before the first interview was even done. She handled so much of the coordination of the interviews, of the organizing that it takes to pull a project like this together, uh, doing everything from writing, editing, and transcribing, and coordinating volunteer transcribers. She's been busy lately at Carleton University working on her PhD, but I believe she has some plans in the works to publish some of the results from these interviews in an upcoming academic article. So we'll certainly keep listeners posted on any progress on that. And to Louise, again, a big thank you for everything you've done for Springtide and for this project. Sandra Hannebaum, who you'll remember from hosting a series of episodes back in the spring and making some cameos on the show before and after that. Sandra has been just as helpful behind the scenes uh, when she hasn't been in front of the microphone. You haven't heard much from her lately as she has recently started the journalism program at King's College. You will, however, hear her make an appearance on our first episode of the Govern Yourself Accordingly podcast next Tuesday. Lati George is somebody who has been helpful uh, in a very behind-the-scenes way. She worked with us this summer and produced some of the episodes uh, that you heard during that time and afterwards, Um, and I probably forgot to record her in the credits uh, when those were happening, so thank you, Lati. And thank you to the team of volunteer transcribers. Thank you to the folks, many of them students, who donated their time to transcribe the interviews you've heard over the past year. This made it a whole a lot easier to write the kind of episodes that we ended up writing. So thank you to these transcribers. So these people are Emma Halupka, Ingrid Dion, Alan Boys, Kylie Burke, Hyla Silpert, Sandra, Hannibal, same Sandra, Keegan White, Lauren Isabel, Sarah Watson. And thank you to our donors. There are a bunch of you. I'm not entirely sure how privacy law works, so I err on the side of sharing as little as possible, but I don't want to name you on a podcast for fear of discovering at a later date that I broke some law or violated your trust, but you know who you are and thank you. Your support has made this podcast possible, and each time we saw a donation trickle in, it gave us a little extra boost of motivation to get the episode across the line that week. Okay, this part isn't a thank you, but to those of you who aren't donors, uh, this is just a message to say that, you know, if you've been listening all along, if you've been enjoying the podcast, if we've given you something to look forward to uh, each week over the last year, uh, we'd really appreciate uh, your support. You can still uh, contribute uh, based on what you think this podcast is is worth to you and uh, what you are able to afford over at offscript.ca and click on the donate button. Um, and also just to note that uh, I think we didn't have a good appreciation of this uh, at the beginning, but there's a reason you don't hear more podcasts like this in Canada and uh, definitely not locally, uh, is that producing a kind of a narrative-based uh, serialized podcast like we've done uh, is a lot more work than kind of the interview style podcasts or even interview style radio shows you hear um, on your, your drives to work and drive home. Um, those are a different thing. This is really a writing exercise and it takes time uh, to put these things together. So if that's been valuable for you, if you've appreciated having quality local content, um, then certainly consider making a donation over at offscript.ca uh, and, and clicking on the donate button. Those contributions are tax deductible and uh, yeah, yesterday was Giving Tuesday. So if this has been valuable for you, then consider making a contribution. Okay, we're we're almost through the thank yous. A big thank you goes out to the people without whom this show wouldn't have been possible, the former MLAs who freely participated in our exit interview, and Jeremy Ackerman in particular, the president of the XMLAs Association, for encouraging his members to take part. And thank you to our listeners, and everyone I just mentioned, for your patience with me over the last year as I've figured out how to work this podcasting gear that's now all over my desk. With that, we'll let the tuba take us out. 
wraps up kind of the... I didn't get you your coffee. <laughs> oh, that's okay. <laughs> I'll get you a cup of coffee. Okay. Uh, I'll just take it black, please.